my family and I love to travel. We love to get uh, to get out and, and see totally different things. We've uh, made road trips to Texas. We hope to make another one to the, out west this year again, uh, just to see something different. Um, I've been to Mexico, California, a couple of places. I can't speak for my wife, so I have to catch up with her later if you know her. She can share her experience, but. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a blast to travel, love doing it, uh, love being able to, to see new places and new faces and to experience uh, all of this, this country and this world has to offer. It's so diverse, right? And the people in it are so diverse and it's such a beautiful thing to see that in action and to actually to, to be able to dive into the culture a little bit and uh, get out of our own world, especially my world, because sometimes it feels really, really small. So that's what today's going to be about, right? This is pretty much this idea, this concept to broaden our horizons a little bit, uh, maybe not fit Physically, we can't physically go somewhere this morning together, but we're going to mentally uh, and maybe a little bit emotionally travel, spread out, uh, broaden who we are thinking about this morning. For the past six weeks, we went through a whole series called Family Matters. Uh, that was a great series. Check it out on YouTube. We got all of them up in a little playlist. Really quick and easy. You can hit binge watch all of them if you want to. Uh, and we looked each week at God's design for each of us and how to live that out in our home life. But today, we're not going to continue that. We're, we're finished. That was it. We're done with that last week. But we are going to broaden it out. We're going to extend that same idea. All right? So every single week, not just during that series, but every single week here at Faith Church, one of our chief focuses is on calling each other, one, back to God and His design for our lives, and into our new transformed identity in Christ, right? Through this real daily relationship. I stress relationship every week. We talk about it every week because it's not a religion. It's not about you being here on a Sunday. It's not about doing a set of checklists that you have to follow to be right, whatever that even means. It's living in relationship with, with Jesus who wants to live in relationship with you. Real daily life transformation that really changes all of who we are, every part of who we are. And a major piece of that new identity is that our family goes beyond the one we're born into, right? I'm sure, hopefully, you love your family that you're born into, but what we have with a unique uh, ability and unique calling goes beyond who is in our immediate sphere, right? All who believe and follow after Jesus are reborn into a new family, right? We're brothers and sisters, each one sitting here who follows Christ, and maybe you're seeking and you're looking into, and this is what this family looks like, is people who are genuinely chasing after the God that's chased after them, and, and we're now brothers and sisters in Jesus. I, I try to routinely encourage that when I'm talking with, uh, Haley pops to mind uh, over and over and over again, uh, because we didn't know her from, from anybody before we, we, met, uh, we uh, moved up here, and then as we started to get to know her, even before she became part of Faith Church, we started just, you know, to speak life in to her and to, you know, to continue to, to, to show her the love and, of Jesus. And over time, as she came and continued to be a part of what we did here at Faith and, and really committed to Christ and to this church, she became my sister in a way that my sisters in Georgia uh, were way far away. I, I don't even speak to them nearly as much as I engage with Haley. And so she really has become a part of my family. And that's what church, not the big vision of church, not this big building, but us, that's what it should be. We should have meaningful connectors to each other. We shouldn't just label each other brother and sister, but really be intimately connected to one another on a really deep and, and, and level. We're supposed to love each other, which means we're going to hurt each other sometimes, which means we should forgive each other, and over time grow to be more like Jesus together. If we're doing this right, that's what it should look like. And prayerfully, God will continue to build and bring people into our church, to bring new brothers, sisters uh, into this space to, to see family done as, as, as heaven is on earth, which is what Jesus constantly said. It also means, though, that we're part of a bigger family. 
It goes beyond just our small, intimate family we're born into, our physical family. It goes even beyond our faith church family. It goes all over the world. Our connections, our responsibility, our mission reaches to every single part of the earth. We're to preach, teach, practice. We have this calling uh, in our town, our neighborhoods, and our friends to see them transformed by Christ, but it goes beyond borders, any physical border that we have, and it stretches into every corner of the earth, every corner of the earth, to see people reorient their lives toward Christ. So our vision, our mission, our calling, and what we do should reflect what we talk about, to reflect who we even are, right? As we look at other countries, as we travel to other places, as maybe things we've only seen photos of, but our minds should go there and say, where are there brothers and sisters? Where are there potential lost people in Christ that we can reach, that we can do some small thing to, to help them know that they are sons and daughters of the king, to be adopted in to this big giant family that we have been adopted into? Over time, I pray that our church will send people from little tiny Powell. 3,500 people, such a, such a small place that most people have never heard of around the world and around our country, and sometimes even around Vermont, right? You know, you might have heard of Poundle. But I'm praying that we'll send people from this place to Africa, to South America, to Europe, to the Middle East, even China, where we're going to fulfill that mission to see people transformed by Christ, even in those places from here. I pray that's going to become a reality one day. But today isn't about the future. It's about the present. Where are those hurting today? Where are the lost today? Whose responsibility is it to help? And what can we do today to make a real tangible impact in someone's life? Right here, right now. Not later, not thinking about it, not putting on the calendar. Today, this Sunday. Now, there are many Many, many, many hurting people and many, many, many worthy causes. And I pray that with godly wisdom, we can help as many of them as possible as individuals and as a church. But today I want to narrow our focus a little bit to children, and particularly children in poverty. So I want to throw out three statistics. They're going to be above my head, and I'm going to talk through them here. Here's some not fun facts, unfortunately, but here's some facts. About 9% of the world's population lives on less than $1.90 per day, making anyone who lives that way extremely vulnerable to natural disasters, food shortages, or instability of any kind. All right? There are moments breath away from living out of a, any kind of shelter with any kind of reasonable expectation to pick up a meal, even a cold one, at any, any one time of the day. All right? Just that fast. Approximately 385 million children, that's 19... Wrap your head around this. 19.5% of the world's children live in extreme poverty. Almost 20% of children live in extreme poverty. Not just a little poor, not just can't have a tablet or a phone, extreme poverty. 20%. Last one, around 45% of deaths of children under five are linked to undernutrition. Kids who aren't guaranteed they're going to be able to get breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or even a snack at any one point during the day. 45%, half the deaths of children under five linked to undernutrition. For those of you who have traveled, particularly developing countries around the world, maybe you've seen extreme poverty up close. And what poverty forces you to admit is that there's evil in this world, there's oppression, 
And it in and of itself is somewhat of an evil thing. It's something that undermines the abundance that God has instilled for creation. We talked about it all the time through our family series that God said, be fruitful, multiply, to create, to grow, to build, to expand, to to bring others into that abundance. And yet we see so many times over this uh, course of history and in our own time across the world that people are living in need, desperate, desperate need. And this poverty robs them of more than just a meal, or more than just a, a financial obligation for the month, it robs them of their dignity, of their quality of life, of sometimes of their very lives, of these deaths we just read about. Millions of children every day wake up without enough food, water, or medicine, or shelter, without opportunities for education, without a family or, an edu- or, or a community to support them, and they're exposed and they're vulnerable without help. And sometimes they'll wind up as prisoners or as homeless or as refugees, forced into prostitution, slave labor, exploited in some form or fashion by those in power without any thought or care of those kids at all. Now, from our position here in small-town America, it's super, 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 super easy to, one, ignore it, right? To say, that's, that's horrible. That's bad. I feel you know, sad for these children. But that's about as far as our thinking goes, right? So we may ignore the problem. We may feel pity, all right? We say, I am sad that I hear these stats, but oftentimes we feel like the problem is too big for us to make any meaningful change, right? You see all these statistics like, wow, what can I do? I can barely even get enough food on my table, right? I can barely even make my car payment or make my mortgage or whatever you have in life going on. We all have different things. And so we look at this stuff and like, well, that's sad, but I don't really think I can really do anything to meaningfully change it. But we who are reborn into this new family with Jesus don't have the option to ignore the problem of others. We don't have the option to just simply feel bad or feel overwhelmed, but to actually act, to do something about it. The Gospel of Matthew records Jesus traveling the countryside. He was teaching. He was healing the hurting, those in need. And as Matthew saw Jesus doing this, he recorded one particular instance that speaks to what we're talking about today. And it's Matthew 9, 35, and 38. So it's going to be up here. It's going to be online around here. And we're going to read this together as we go through it. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In the crowds that came to Jesus, there were those who were sick, those who were broken by abuse, those who were hungry and thirsty, those who were burdened by debt and poverty. And when he saw those crowds, he not only saw the symptoms of their oppression, but the reason for it. Matthew says they were like sheep without a shepherd, meaning those who were supposed to care for them, their leaders, their their religious leaders, the community leaders, had all failed them. Those who were supposed to be in power sought to just keep that power and not to use it to actually benefit and bless others in their lives to legitimately care for those who were hurting. Matthew says that when Jesus saw this, he saw their need that he was moved to one word. What did it say? You remember? He was moved to, I remember it was up there a second ago. (laughs) You can talk, it's okay. Thank you, compassion. Awesome, it was moved to compassion. 
compassion. You may remember, we did this a few weeks back. We talked about God's character, who he is, what he's about, what he does. And one of the chief words we said defined who God is, is compassion. It's a Hebrew word that means great concern and love, like that of a mother to a newborn child. Hopefully you remember that. If you didn't, again, watch it on YouTube. We talked about it. Here Jesus reflects the character of God in that same way, being moved to that same level of compassion for those in the crowd. Most of the people he saw that day and every time he went out, he didn't see them ever again. Or he'd see them rarer. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people sometimes, and so he couldn't really identify each of them, but he saw and understood, and it was moved to such a degree of compassion that he recognized their need and was not willing to let them suffer anymore. That compassion led him to shepherd the people in a way that their leaders had failed to. He healed them, he taught them, he provided for them. But he didn't stop there. He told those closest to them, he said, look out. Look out here. Look at all these people. Look at the families huddled over here. Look at the homeless over here. Look at the farmers who are just barely scratching by. Look at the religious leaders, maybe, who've kind of snuck in on the back and are listening in. Look at those who think they have it all together but are seeking something better. Look at this whole crowd who are seeking something. They come hearing the call of Jesus. Wanting to be changed, but not knowing quite how yet. They bring their problems, they bring their mess, they bring their excuses, they bring all the things that we bring to the table, and yet Jesus sees them and he said, Look out here, guys, his closest guy, his closest followers, 12 guys. He said, Pay attention, you who are closest to me. Look at those people who are in need. See it. Don't ignore it. Don't move past it. Don't feel sad for them and say, Well, I can't help them, there's too many. Look at the pained, hurting faces. Look at the poor, weakened, and abused, and do two things. One, pray. Pray with all your heart for God to move, because that's what it's going to take to change lives. Pray for God to move in their lives. And two, pray that he will use you to do it. Sometimes we look at that passage and miss it, because we say, oh, he's saying, you know, Harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. Pray to God that he will send laborers out. But the clue he was trying to subtly hint then, he's kind of nudging them, send out laborers. Send out laborers, John. Send out laborers, Matthew. That means you. That means us, right? Because oftentimes we'll look and say, oh, yes, send someone else to help, please. I'll even pay their way maybe. And say, well, I can sit at home, right? I'll stick close to Jesus. If you're Jesus follower, maybe if you're not, maybe you'll stick close to whatever things you love or comfortable and stick close to those things, right? And Jesus says, look, you can't run away from it. Don't hide. Don't think that it's just going to go away on its own. Don't think somebody else is going to take care of the problem. Pray that God is going to move in you to them. Too often, we stop at praying. I love prayer. Prayer is important. We do it every, every Thursday, 630. I want you to pray with us. Prayer in and of itself doesn't change anything, but praying opens up that line to God who's going to make things happen. He's waiting for us to call it and say, I need you this moment. He's going to say, yep, got it. Prayer through God's actions, through our prayer, changes things. It's necessary. It's powerful. But the need is far greater 
than to stop at prayer. It's far greater than we can meet in our own strength, right? We can't just say, well, there's tons, tons of things that need to happen. There's poor, there's pitiful, there's, there's need. I can't do anything about it. And you're right. You need to pray for God's strength to make a change in your life so that you can do something about it through his strength. We talked about that last week, men. The difference between moving snow with a shovel and moving with a plow. What we should do is be calling out to God saying, we need you to move and we need you to move us. Jesus calls us to act, to pray for compassionate strength so you'll be prepared to be the one he sends to help. You might feel powerless against poverty. There may be a hundred different reasons why you say, I can't. But I want you to know with compassion, God's strength, his move, you can. Fueled by his spirit to give you the desire, the courage, the strength, the perseverance to sacrificially serve as Jesus did to those that weren't people with problems, but a lost sheep ready to be found, ready to be called home into a new family. It's more important to do this now than ever. Over the past year, people living in poverty have been disproportionately perfected by the economic crisis brought on by COVID. We, we're, we're favored here in America in many ways. We get stimulus money, we get bailouts, we get all those extra little things that help us make it through. But there's plenty of people in developing countries around the world that are pushed into poverty by this circumstance and not brought along carefully and safely. They're already on the edge and they just sent them over. More people are facing food insecurity. More people lose hope. More children are sitting there wondering, am I going to eat today or not? I don't know. Serving the poor and children in need is truly more vital now than ever before. So, we know there's a need. We can't ignore it. We know we're called as a family of God to meet the need. The question then becomes, how do we do it? How do we do it? What can we do to make a tangible impact on child poverty right here today? To see a child and a family in a country we may never see in person freed from the prison of poverty. One, we have to pray. I talked about that. The other is we can do something by actively helping even just one, not even just, I only say even just one. Our mission here at Faith is to see people transformed by the power of the gospel one person at a time, and it's there for a couple of reasons. One is that each individual person is valued, one by God, and should be valued by us, and they're, they're important. No one person is unimportant. It's not, well, can we save 500 today? Forget saving 500 today. Let's start on focusing, can we save one today? Just one. Just one. And today we have that chance. Today we have that chance. There's this company, there's this organization, it's not a company, it's an organization, it's a nonprofit organization called Compassion International. Awesome company, awesome organization. For over 68 years they've been doing this, over 25 countries, they've actively worked in the lives of over 2 million children to lift them out of poverty to show and tell them the love and hope of Jesus and to welcome them and their families into a loving gospel family like ours. They do this. It's, really, it's, it's, it's not radical. But other companies do this. Other organizations do this. They do it in a different way because it is so Christ-focused, but this is how they do it. They do this by directly connecting one child in poverty with a loving church-based community through you. Through you, all right? So you have the child in need. You have a local church who's willing to support, but they don't have the financial resources to do it because they're living in a poor community. But then they have us, who though we may be strapped some months, know we'll never miss a meal. 
Though we may wonder if we can pay one bill this month, know that our children will not go hungry. And so we serve as that intercessor, as that person who's going to step in the gap and meet the need, to see the crowds and connect them to hope. They do this really easy. You're the sponsor. I'm the sponsor. It's a monthly gift of of $38. And what this does is is amazing to me every time I read it and every time I think through it. Jane's going to throw the stats up here for you. A monthly gift of $38 provides one child you sponsor with medical checkups, all right, healthy food. I got to wonder where the next meal is going to come from or if at all. Health and hygiene training, education, access to special services like surgeries or disaster relief, one-on-one mentoring, and most importantly, this great family, new family, this church family that's going to show and tell them the love of Jesus, that's going to make a difference not just in the moment, but for eternity, so they can love him and love others the way they are shown this love through us. When you're sponsoring a child, here's how this works in more practical terms. So $38, you sponsor one child. When you do this, you'll receive the child's photo. You're going to receive a personal story and a child sponsorship packet by mail in approximately 10 days. What sets this program apart, this organization apart, uh, to me, in my estimation, the difference of it, one, is Christ-focused. Two, it's uniquely personal. You're not sending a monthly check just to support some child somewhere, somehow. You're actually picking up a person when you pick up a packet or look online at a photo. That's a real person, not just some made-up photo somebody put up there to collect your check. And you're going to uniquely connect with that one child and that child's family and impact them in a way that you never could in any other way unless you literally went there yourself and you couldn't afford to do it for $38 a month. It just blows my mind. When children find out they've been sponsored, the joy is just indescribable. They have hundreds of, of videos and stories about how children and families are just moved by this moment. Just because just knowing that someone across the globe cares more than any way you can imagine. Sponsoring a child in need is going to profoundly change their future. And it's probably going to change your life as well. Here's a short video. I want to show it. I'm probably going to post it online too, but I want to show it in-house. And it's going to be hopefully online. Now, I will preface this with a warning because YouTube and Facebook algorithms are crazy. So if this video gets taken down or our video stream gets taken down on Facebook, check YouTube, all right? Or catch up with us on YouTube as it gets posted back there later today. Just be sure. I'd put that disclaimer out there in case something happens. I pray it doesn't. But I want you to watch online and in person as we see how sponsoring a child has impacted this family's life. Go ahead, Jane. God wants us to help other kids so we can make a difference so that people in other countries have exactly all that they need. This is our story of sponsoring a child with compassion. So let's start off with compassion. Compassion is a thing that helps other kids develop and get what they need and stuff. The Bible is pretty clear that generosity is not about how much you have, it's about what you do with what you have. I remember our pastor at our church sharing about how if you don't have to walk to work every day and you have a car, like you are like one of the wealthiest people in the world. That perspective made me realize how much I really have. And I realized that it was really important that we start being generous. You know, we wanted to sponsor a child, and so we looked with Evie and picked out a a child whose birthday was kind of close to hers, so they were around the same age, and, and it was a girl also, and her name is Marabella, 
and she's from the Philippines. Um, Marabella is six. She likes singing. She also likes drawing, I think. Understanding the concept of poverty isn't personal until you put a face to it. And compassion put a face to poverty and a child's name to poverty. And um, it became this huge concept that's just out there somewhere and gave us an actual person to impact. So they, so Mirabella's year was like they had hurricanes. Hurricanes over there, typhoons over there. It made me want to help them because when I think about things that I didn't really like or times where it was hard, I think about poverty and how hard poverty would be. And I, and I thought, I wonder how these people feel. I was in the kitchen and Evie woke up and came in the kitchen and she, she literally walked out of her bedroom with this idea pretty much fully formed to the degree that she shared with me, Dad, I had this idea that um, I, could, I could draw pictures, me and my friends could draw pictures and then people could buy the pictures for a dollar and then we could send that money to people who are poor. I hoped that it would make a difference that I'd make enough art to raise $500. You know, she came out of her bedroom thinking about someone else, which is huge for a child to do, and then thinking, what do I have? What, what ability, what assets do I have that I can use to make a difference? So, you know, we thought that getting involved with Compassion, sponsoring a child, we were going to be making a difference. And what we found is that through, through that, Compassion has given us um, a story and this purpose. Well, God wants us to do our gifts because He wants to make the world a better place and a better place for other people. Um, we don't consider ourselves as having very much, but um, because we had this uh, priority, both of, of the type of family we wanted to be, the type of people we wanted to be as followers of Jesus, as parents, um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so um, you have to move your treasure around to put your heart in the right place. As people are thinking about whether to sponsor a child, I want to tell everybody, like, do it. Like, it's going to change your life. Like, you need to do it. So the blue is the sad kid because he doesn't have enough of what he needs. They need food, water, and medical service, and shelter. And the yellow is the happy kid because he has enough of what he needs, and he's been sponsored. We can all show kids the love of Jesus, sponsor a child, and make a difference. All right. <clears throat> My family and I have uh, first became involved with Compassion nearly 17 years ago. Anytime I bring something to the church, and church being all of you guys, anytime I bring something to you guys, um, I never, I have never, or will never bring anything to you to do or to act on that I'm not willing or have not acted on already myself. So about 17 years ago, we watched a video similar to that, well, not the same, um, but similar to that. We were at an event, they had a short presentation detailing of all the children in need around the world. And at that time, my wife and I didn't have children of our own. Uh, I have seven now, but then I didn't have any. 17 years changes a lot. <laughs> I had more hair, less kids, all right? Maybe you do the math on that one. All right, but I didn't have any at the time. And we saw this presentation, something like it. And uh, we were just overwhelmed. We were overwhelmed by this immense just burden. 
this burden to, to even in some small way to relieve the suffering of those children who are, who are battling disease and poverty through, through no fault of their own. So we watched the video, we heard the, the story of the people who have sponsored children, and we were moved to at least look into a child of, of our own, and so we moved to the table, we have a table up here for you today, we moved to the table after the event, and as we looked at the faces again after we watched the video, and I was crying, because I, I cry, I don't know, some guys cry, some guys don't, I don't care if you do or not, but I do, so I was teared up, and I was, I was as I was watching that video, and as I was looking at those photos, I was like, man, I was a young Marine, you know, we had a couple of cars. We had a rental that we were a rental house that we were in, and uh, we weren't making a lot of money. <clears throat> we we're making enough. We didn't have a kid, like I said at the time, or seven. And as I looked, I couldn't ignore that need. I couldn't ignore the opportunity I saw to directly connect with a child and a family in a community that could spark a lifetime of, of change. So we picked up a, a young girl. Um, her name is Micheline. Uh, she was in Haiti. And in many respects, she became our first child. And again, the beauty of the program is this, that you get to interact directly with them. So we sent letters. This is before the Internet was, was incredibly popular. I mean, it was around, but we didn't, the compassion didn't work the way it does now. So we sent physical letters, and she would mail us back, and she would draw little pictures. And uh, she was, I think, like three or four, I think four at the time. I don't quite remember how old she was, young, young. And uh, we, would, we would share her life together. As she grew, we watched her grow. We, right, we watched uh, through frequent photo updates. They would send photos every year. She just sprout up like this little tree, right? We heard of her experience in our own world as she kind of wrote these letters uh, that were translated because she was writing in French, and we had the faithful translator at, the, at her uh, church who would translate all these letters for us uh, so we could read how she was doing. We would celebrate birthdays and Christmases together. And over those uh, six, 16, last year we, had to, we swapped over because she actually graduated from the program. We kept her the whole time from, from two or three all the way up till she was out of the program, uh, faithfully giving every single month. And as soon as we had a child, or as soon as she graduated out, we said, we're going to get another one. <laughs> There's no reason not to, to sponsor another child at this point. You know, the money's already allotted. We're going to just keep the ball rolling uh, down the hill. And so we did. We picked up another child uh, who's in Haiti again. And so uh, she, we're going to go through this process all over again. And I, I, I will move heaven and earth in my budget to make sure we never stop doing it. And we never stop doing it. We were moved by the compassion of Christ to act for those children in need, and we're going to do whatever it takes to continue to do so. Over the years, we've had financial decisions to make. We've had monthly bill discussions. Some of us, this required us to cut things we thought we needed at the time. All the time, we continue to support that little girl in Haiti and the new one we have now, and God willing, we're going to continue to do so. I'm willing to make whatever sacrifice it takes, whatever I need. I'll skip a meal so that that child can have a meal. And God's blessed me so much that I don't have to even have that as a consideration because sometimes I think we box it into either-or decisions. I'm like, well, I, I, can, I can give this up, and maybe God is calling you to do that because that's part of what it means following Jesus is sacrificing as he did, and your life is radically changed by that. But oftentimes I've found he meets my need before I even know it's there. I say, well, I'm going to give one to my church, to my community, and bless others, to my time, talent, finances, and this. I'm going to give to this child, and then everything else comes after. And every month I have excess. And I start to brag. I'm not saying, because I don't make a lot of money, and I don't, I'm not all about it. I want to give as much away as possible. But I want to tell you how God provides for them through you and to you because of your generosity. You can transform a life today. 
You want to make an impact today? It's $38 away. Right here, right now. In a cafe, we have the table set up for available children. Now, these aren't just potential. These are real human beings. Okay, I wanted to refresh this. These are people you're going to be sponsoring directly on a one-on-one personal level. So I want to ask you, will you at least consider? I know some of you are deep thinkers. I appreciate that. Some of you have to take time. You're not rash decision makers. Great. I don't want you to be. Think through it. Look at the photos. Take a, take a, there's an information packet, not a child packet. Take an information packet at home because you can go online and look at more and get more information. If you don't you know what's, the, what's this organization about, get some feedback. Get some, feel, feel uh, that you can trust them, as my family and I have. But I pray that you at least consider maybe sacrificing some of your finances to let a child know that they are seen, known, and loved by you and by God. Will you answer the call of compassion today? I encourage you to. If you're ready to do that, in person, the packets are on that table. Before we leave, make sure you check one out. If you're online, we're going to post a link in the comment section so that you can access it directly on their website. All right? It's as simple as filling out some blocks of information or even just the beginning, just searching through their pages, and they give you all the things you need to understand how it works and to see the faces of those in need. All right? So either online or in person, here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to participate today, to make a difference today. We're going to post that link. Make sure you check out the, the, the table after. We're going to pray right now. We're going to have one song in person, then we're going to get out of here. But I want to encourage you to do that. Think through that as we sing this song. Think through that as, you, as we say this prayer together. Think through it as you're considering your life and your, and your needs, but also the needs of others around the world. How can we bring more people into God's family today through one even just small change? 